Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Oh, just fine. Just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's Anything good. exciting going on? Around here? Yeah, oh, you know, there. always there's always something crazy going on up here. Yeah? Yeah, just nutty, nutty stuff. Crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy kind of stuff. Nutty, nutty kind of stuff. Yeah. Bermuda. Bermuda, like the Bermuda Triangle or the Bermuda Shorts? That is a... Um, Do you wear shorts a lot? I can't really imagine you wearing shorts. No, I don't. Like as a rule or you just don't happen to because of the climate? Oh, I have a lot of shorts that I wear uh, when I'm on the beach or one that I wear if I'm um, in the pool. But I'm yeah, not like... Like swim, swim trunks of some kind. Yeah, I mean, I have. There's a guy. There's a, a fellow dad at my daughter's school that wears shorts all year long. But he's a sports person, right? So he's wearing shorts as a kind of. I'm not sure exactly what, but I, you know, I, we talk about it. I'm like, it's very cold out. You're wearing shorts. And he says, "Yeah, I wear them all year." And I go, "Is that like, that's like his thing? It's like his his shtick to wear shorts all year." Like I wear. I'm the guy that always wears shorts. And, uh, and he's like proud of it. He's like knowing it. Well, he definitely knows it. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, like exactly what his identity is. It has to be tied into that. Or at least, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of guys you may have noticed, Dan, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to blow your mind here, but there are a lot of guys that like to control their environment by limiting their possibilities. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. So for instance, you know, somebody that would only have a num the, the only have belongings that would fit in a single bag. Oh, like a person like that. Crazy like a person, person that, like that. A person like that, for instance. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you know, I remember in like 1987, I went into an Eddie Bauer. Yeah. And uh, they were having a sale. In fact, wait a minute. It might have been my friend Bob Wood who said, you need to go to the Eddie Bauer uh-huh. because they're having a sale <laughs> on long sleeve t-shirts and they were some rid- ridiculously low price. And so I went down to the Eddie Bauer. And these t-shirts were not t-shirts at all. They were thick. They were, the material was, it was, how do you describe it? It was t-shirt material, mm. but maybe three times thicker than what you, what a normal t-shirt would be. And I'm not even talking about a normal flimsy t-shirt like they have now, but like a normal beefy t-shirt. Yeah. Like a Hanes beefy tee. Yeah. But this is three times thicker than that. But it's still T-shirt material. Uh-huh. That kind of cotton, that that weave, that um, and they had they had this long sleeve shirt, and I have no idea why uh, why these were on sale this way. But they had it was like a Pantone rainbow. They had them in twenty five colors, and they were arranged in uh, on the rack like as a rainbow of color, starting with blue and going all the way to yellow or whatever. And they had them two styles. 
crew neck and mock turtleneck. Mm. And they were, they were nothing. They were five bucks each or something. And I remember Bob Wood definitely saying to me, I bought one of every color and now I don't have to ever think about what shirt I'm going to wear. From now on, I'm just wearing <laughs> these Eddie Bauer long sleeve t-shirts. It's solved a major problem for me. Yeah. I don't have to like fashion anymore. Uh -huh. And I didn't feel like, like fashioning was a problem that was taking up a lot of bandwidth, but I bought one of every color too. And I swear to you, this is 1987. I swear, Dan, I have four, at least four of those shirts still and have worn them consistently that entire time. And only a couple of years ago when the collars got, the collars didn't get frayed. They like basically just came apart. You know, they, they like, they split, uh, and the cuffs started to get so shredded that I couldn't wear them in polite society, but the shirts themselves still intact. Hmm. I could be wearing one right now. You might even be wearing one right now. I'm not, oh. I'm wearing a Carrie Ockery t-shirt. That's one of these new, like soft. It's so funny how clothing manufacturers convinced us that flimsy and thin was really soft. You know, all the, all the young people now are like, oh, that t-shirt's so soft. And I'm like, it feels soft because it's thin. It's like not very good. It's you like probably, it's I mean, not shitty. to be a devil's advocate, but you, I imagine you could get a thin shirt that wasn't soft. Hmm. All right. And I don't want to throw off your game I mean, or anything. I don't think, I, it's not like I'm looking for something that's not soft. It's that, it's not that it's soft. It's a, it's a. It's a trick of the light. I don't, no one wants an unsoft shirt. No. I think you could find one. You could find a terrible shirt that was not soft, but anyway, Bermuda, Bermuda, sunny, sunny kind of place. Funny, funny kind of place. Bermuda <laughs> was a song that Paul Schaefer improvised on the David Letterman show okay. in 1983. Uh, when I happened to be watching late at night, I was in high school and was, should have been in bed, but had a TV that was in my closet that I could, I could open the closet door. I had a little bit, a little black and white TV that somehow had gone unaccounted for in the house. No one, no one knew where this little black and white TV went because it went in my closet and I could turn it on and watch the Letterman show from bed with the closet door just slightly ajar. But if my mom got up in the night, if I heard anybody wandering around in the house, I could cl just close my closet door. And as far as anyone was concerned, I wasn't watching TV. I was fast asleep. Now, there was a little peak of light from the TV under the door that would have given me away. But that was on the other, my, the closet was on the other side of my bed. It pro I probably could have gotten away with it. it, it my, my system was never challenged. But I was watching this David Letterman show. And Dave said, Paul, you went to Bermuda. How was it? And Paul grabbed the piano and said, Bermuda. 
funny, funny kind of place. Yeah. Nutty, he, nutty he did that stuff all, all the time. Why did this one stick? Bermuda. It just, I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. I laughed until I couldn't breathe. And I just, the song just went into me. <laughs> and it became kind of, for me, over the course of the, over the course of my life, it's, um, it's a thing I sing when I'm kind of like Clark Griswolding. Okay. You know, when you stop somewhere and you're like, <laughs> okay, I'm here. I am just checking out the grand Canyon or whatever. Now let's get going. I kind of just throw a little, just one, one run through the Bermuda song. I don't know. The mind is a funny thing. But it's still there. I still sing it all the time. Bermuda. <laughs> I used to watch uh, Letterman religiously. I would watch. This is back in high school, and I would I would go to work at my part time job, and then I would stop by my friend's house on the way home, Casey, and he and I would watch. He usually had some kind of, you know, he'd be, because he worked at a gas station. So I think he was like getting up to start his day. He worked some weird uh, nighttime. So he'd always be like making eggs and bacon or something. So I'd come over and after, after I got off my part-time job, I would go over his place. Sometimes he'd be making eggs and bacon. And then we would watch the first 30 minutes of Letterman. I mean, of uh, Carson, last 30 minutes of Carson. And I would drive back home and then watch Letterman and then go to bed. And that was pretty much every night, like my senior year of high school, pretty exciting life. But I don't so remember is, the Bermuda song. Oh, well, it might've been a little bit before your time. Yeah. And I watched Letterman before that, but that sure, was when sure, I was, sure. that's when I never missed an episode. Yeah, sure. You were a little kid before that. Oh yeah. Way too young. I actually saw the David Letterman daytime talk show. Yeah. I'm too, way too young for that. Uh, it was only on for a matter of hours. I have no idea how, how long it ran, but it didn't run for long. But I was home sick from school one day and had a little black and white TV and was clicking through the channels, clicking the knob. And I came to this daytime TV show, which was basically, it was like the Today Show, set up bright, sunny studio, cooking demonstrations, the whole you know, the whole daytime so TV weird. I thing. can't like, I can't really imagine him doing that. No, he couldn't either. And either <laughs> could anyone else because the show was canceled really fast. Yeah. But I remember sitting and being just absolutely dumbfounded at what I was watching. I was <laughs> yeah. so excited. I didn't know this world existed where this crazy man was doing this. You know, his comedy was intact. It was the same. He was just it was in this game show universe and, uh, oh, I was thrilled. I knew I had found my, knew I'd found my, my guy. You know, he was a, um, <laughs> Letterman was a celebrity judge on the gong show. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Before he had a show at all. One of his, one of the like comedy things that they tried him out on was had him up on the panel of the gong show and he was mean. Oh yeah, he was, he's got a super mean streak. That's <laughs> that's terrible. He had to like tone that way down 
once he, you know, but wasn't, didn't he start out doing weather? I think he started yeah. out as a weather guy and then he did stand up. And then I guess is the rest is history. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't live in the town where he was doing weather. I didn't get a chance to see his weather man. I bet he would have been wet, a good weather guy. I used to love that car. Did I send you that, uh, that re- link recently of, um, the video with him on, on Carson where he's talking about him and, and Leno and not getting the show. Oh, yeah. 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 I've, I've sadly I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah. Sadly, I have seen all of the, all of those things. I mean, sadly, I say sadly. Why yeah. sad? Just because there's a kind of, I don't know. I feel a little bit like YouTube sitting and watching old shows from the seventies on YouTube. Well, it feels a little sad. I do it. I do it, but it, but it's, it's, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed. I don't think it's sad, like tragic. I just feel like, yeah, if you've, if there's a video of Dean Martin or Johnny Carson or David Letterman doing something that rises above the Merc, I have for sure seen it. I I started, I just, I think that's, I just started watching, uh, the, I've never watched a show on my phone. It just never seemed, uh, it just didn't seem doable. Even it's commendable. I hate, I hate watching things on my phone. I do it, but but I hate it. Well, I had never even done it. And, uh, I was sitting, I was not even sitting, I was laying and I was watching. Sometimes I'll watch like crazy poker hands. Yeah. Like you'll never believe this crazy poker hand. And I'm like, (laughs) I will believe it. (laughs) And, uh, and somehow there was some kind of Tony Soprano thing that, that went zooming by. And I was like the Sopranos, the Sopranos, the Sopranos. And so I watched some YouTube highlights of the Sopranos. Mm. And then I got frustrated by the lack of narrative, uh, continuity and so i watched episode one season one of the sopranos on my phone and i enjoyed the experience so much that i watched episode two season one of the sopranos on my phone right there on your phone and i felt like you know i shouldn't be watching this on my phone this is a very very greatly diminished experience but uh but it was better than nothing and so I, I watched episode three, season one on my phone. Who knows where it'll end, Dan? I could go all the way. I could go all the way to the end. Watch however many, se- 10 seasons or whatever. Why not watch it on your computer, your iPad? I don't have an iPad. I do have an iPad. Years and years ago, when iPads first came out, the Daily Show gave an iPad to all of their people when it was like this is a brand new thing everybody at the daily show got an ipad right and then one of those ipads one of those daily show ipads migrated through space and time to me and i had this daily show ipad that worked fine and was fine fun and fine and then i did the classic thing i think you know what i'm about to say Mm -hmm. i upgraded the operating system (laughs) And the iPad turned into a, like one of those things you put on a table to hold a hot pan. 
made me sad, made me mad. So I have one. It's here. I could probably put my hands on it in two seconds, but it's not useful. My computer, Dan, I don't know if I've been filling you in on all of my computer problems, but my computer is not in any good condition. Yeah, you told me that. Every time I turn it on, I think this may be the last time. But I have an order. I have I have an order. The 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 apples are making me a computer as we speak, right this second. I saw that it looked like you were you had taken something to the Apple store and not had the best luck with the oh, experience. I, I but I took something to the Apple store and had a wonderful experience. Oh, okay. I took my laptop to the Apple store and they took it away. It's on its way to being fixed right now, but I also ordered a desktop computer. Oh, I did all these things because 2019 is going to be, it's a banner year for me. I've, I'm, I'm committed to the idea that 2019 is going to be transformative. And one of the things that needed to happen was I needed to stop using computers that I found in free piles in like shared housing situations. <laughs> Stop trading a steak dinner for somebody's old Is that really computer. What, you, what you did? Yeah, every computer. I've never, I haven't bought a new, I mean, I, I bought that laptop because my other laptop was stolen. But the two desktop computers I have are both somebody else's cast off computer. Mm. The one I'm looking at was Jason Finn's cast off computer. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to buy it. I, I spend all this time on the computer. It's part of my job to do these podcasts. And honestly, you, you could probably podcast into a Zoom recorder. You sure, you could, you could use your phone to do what we're doing right now. Yeah. You don't I need don't a computer need a to do it. $2,500 computer. Certainly not. But what about all the other stuff that I do? Like, look at the internet. All right. But no, See, really, I would, think, I would think you would be one of the uh, a really good example of the kind of person who could get a an iPad and do everything that you do with just your iPad. I think you'd be one of those types. You know, Adam Pranica does that. Yeah, a lot of people do. Adam Pranica has a little keyboard. Yep, attaches to his iPad, <clears throat> but that is not my style. Mm. No, no, no. Not my style. No. I don't know why that's not my style, but it's not. I'm not Mr. Must have the the uh, newest computer, clearly, but I'm also not, I can do everything on an iPad. No, no, no. No. I also have like terabytes of little rock songs um, that I have recorded. None of them. You know, I had an idea. Tell me what you think of this idea. All right. I've got so many little tunes. Yeah. Little like, they're not even snippets. You know, when you think about some of the songs that I, that are like my most popular long winter songs, they only have three chords. Right. They're not quarterly complicated. Commander Thinks Aloud only has three chords. Mm -hmm. Cinnamon only has three chords. Each one of those tunes has one extra little teeny chord that mm -hmm. sneaks in at a couple of times, but it doesn't really count. Um, and so I've got all this material. I've talked about it quite a bit. And I thought, oh, well, what if I 
what if I just put up a thing, you know, the way Jonathan Colton did a song a week. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, I don't think able to promise people that I was going to do like a fully realized verse chorus first song a week. What if instead I just said every week I'm going to put up one more of my like super, super rock riffs and, um, and I'll do it like, whoop, I'll, um, like at the, like the, whatever the, the lowest level of Patreon, you can just hear these songs every week, but like there'll be a level somewhere up where I'll actually give you all the stems. Like I'll give you the, I'll give you the tracks and you can remix it yourself. All right. You can actually uh, a Trent Reznor thing. Yeah. Put your own lyrics on it. Just give me half of the songwriting credit. (laughs) Um, I just don't know. I'm afraid that like there would be 30 people that were super excited to sign up for that, but then nobody else. And it would, and then I'd feel bad. I'd feel bad that I was just, I should just be emailing these 30 people. I wouldn't need to have a Patreon. I'm not sure what the audience is I think it would be bigger than 30, but I think you would still be disappointed even if it was way bigger than 30. I think if it was 30,000, you'd be a little disappointed. Oh, if it was 30,000, I'd be, I'd be excited. If Mm. it was even, how many is the amount of people that I wouldn't be disappointed? I feel like if it was 1,000 people, I would say... That's awesome. Well, if it was 900 people, I think I would still be okay with it. So I we, sound a little have, bit like my daughter. Well, well, we have about 900 people supporting uh, us on the current Roadwork Patreon. Who Those are yeah. the ones who support us every month. They get the bonus shows. They get all that stuff. And... Yeah. Well, I th- that's a that's a lot. Uh, that's probably more than I would get from my little guitar thing. Then. I'm not sure. That's what I'm saying. And you might get you might get that many. It might be more. I just can't believe how. And, and this is not. I'm not bashing the non Patreon listeners, but it always surprises me because that's such a small percentage of uh, of of the listener base. We have tens of thousands of listeners and we have 840 people who are willing to give like a dollar. I mean, yeah, most, most give more than a dollar for, to their credit, but that just shocks me because when I find something I like and I know that it's an independent creator, I'm like, yeah, I can, I can afford a dollar for them or whatever. If I, especially if I really like it and especially if they're like asking for it, like that, like, um, this guy, uh, this guy that does these videos on on uh, the Minecraft game, you ever you know Minecraft? He does these sure. videos. I'm I've never met him in person, but I got to kind of know him over the internet. I'm like, yeah, I can give him a buck a month for this stuff that he does, even though I'm not really playing Minecraft anymore. Like, I like that he's out there. I like knowing that he's like out there doing this stuff. And periodically, I'll check in. And I'll say, yeah, look, he's still doing stuff. And the videos are even better than they used to be. And like, I know it's not a lot of help, but I'm giving him a buck a month. And like, he's, he's out there doing this, his thing. 
John, imagine if all of our listeners gave us a dollar. If one dollar a month. If all of our listeners gave us one dollar a month, I don't think we'd need to like this could be our main thing. This could be the thing we do. Just this. Yeah, but what 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 you're talking about is a um one dollar. If every single list if every single person that listened to the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast just bought the song that is the theme song of their show. Yeah. I would have one of the best selling <laughs> singles in indie rock for of my generation. Yeah. Right? Like I have uh they have what? 500,000 a million downloads an episode or whatever. Do they? And some they they it's a huge show. My song has been the theme for 8 years. Right. Uh you can download a song for 99 cents. All right. And uh, if, w- honestly, if 1% of their listeners downloaded the song, let alone 10%, mm. if 10% of their listeners downloaded the song, I would, I'd be set for the year. Uh, but if you look at the statistics of my songs and how often they've been downloaded, that song, which is the theme of this enormously successful podcast, has not been really downloaded appreciably more or less than any of the other songs on that album. It's not even, it hasn't even moved the needle. So I think what what was interesting about Jonathan Colton's success was that he put his music on the internet for free right at the the same moment that the technology really enabled the music to be good quality on the internet and that there had become a kind of, uh, there was a nerd culture burbling up, uh, where nerds identified with one another as a, as a single culture. Do you remember that before? Do you remember the before times? It wasn't that long ago. It was, it was 10 years ago, even where there was no, the words nerd culture didn't exist. You didn't nerds. That wasn't a, that wasn't a, uh, no one would say I'm a nerd. Right. That was bad. (laughs) And, and there wasn't this feeling that comic books, superheroes, uh, cosplay, board games, star Trek, that all those things taken together represented a single monolithic nerdy culture. Right. And I think ki- kids now, younger kids, younger than millennials don't think that way either because they grew up in a world where that's, uh, that's, that's all, it's all culture is that. And it, maybe the word nerd now c- communicates, maybe it conveys some other meaning, but Jonathan put his songs on the web for free right at the moment that nerd culture was coalescing and looking for a, uh, looking for a galvanizing thing to orbit around. And Jonathan's songs were about, you know, they were smart and nerd friendly. And so his success, which at the time it was so revolutionary. I mean, hundreds of artists thought they could duplicate his success and no one was able to because he landed at the exact right moment 
that the people that like to share stuff on the internet found a style of music that they thought their friends would like and they shared it. You know, it was, it was a perfect storm because if Jonathan Colton had put his music out on the internet and it was about sports, none of the nerds that were at the cutting edge of that technology would have wanted to share it with each other. So it, and those were also the people that had had PayPal accounts. So they were the ones that started that, that felt like I'm going to PayPal this guy money. Remember PayPal was kind of a novelty. Yeah, very much. It's like, wow, I get to send money to somebody. I'll do it just to see it happen. You know, there was a lot of that. So the people that listen to road work, I think it's a very varied audience. And I think a lot of the audience are not people who are, uh, who are PayPal natives, right? Or Patreon natives. There are a lot of people listening to podcasts now who, who recognize that, you know, or that Patreon plays a role in their lives already. Right. They, they're the, they are the generation of people that like their friend has a big vet bill and they give them a little bit of, you know, they, they send a dollar here, a dollar there. And it's the same generation that frankly stopped buying albums, you know, it's it's the streaming generation. And it's the generation that I used to be very critical of the fact that they thought music should be free. But a lot of them came around or maybe it was – maybe there was just a the crest of a, a millennial wave. But the people that came after them recognized, oh, no, you have to chip in. You have to pitch into the world. And so those Patreon natives or those um, those people that, that it set, their account is set up and they don't, they don't think anything about going – I mean, it's not that they're not judicious, but – if they like something, they go and send a little money. And this is the same generation that grew up paying for the cloud, paying all these eels. Every month, 25 different companies collect 99 cents from them. And that's just how they grew, that's how they grew up or how they accepted that the internet works. We would like to say thank you very much to Brooklyn and, you know, Think about it. You spend like a third of your life in your sheets. That's, that's the way that it works. And it is about time for a bedding upgrade. I am doing a weird thing with my sheets now. I used, you know, we changed the sheets and I always had a second set of sheets, sometimes even a third set of sheets that I would put on the bed whenever it was time to, uh, to swap them out. I stopped doing that. I'm now only using my Brooklyn and sheets I take them off, I wash them, and I just put them back on, which obviously means I need to order another set of Brooklyn and sheets, but that's how much better they are than all of the other sheets that we had. And my wife's like, what's wrong with the other ones? They're from a nice department store and we spent a lot of money. I said, they are not as good as the Brooklyn and ones. And she said, you know, I must admit you are correct. And, uh, that's just how good they are. This, uh, company Brooklyn was started in 2014 by husband and wife team, and their mission was to make five-star hotel quality sheets more affordable and easy to order. They wanted to create luxury sheets without the luxury markup. Did you know that most bedding is marked up by as much as 300%? Sounds crazy, but that's, that's the real deal. 
And uh, Brooklinen was actually the first direct-to-consumer betting company. They work directly with the manufacturers and directly with the customers. There's no middleman, just a great product and a great service. They are the fastest growing betting brand in the world. Uh, and, and don't take it from me. Try these out for yourself. Mine are the best. I think you're going to like yours uh, just as much. They're the most comfortable sheets that I've ever had. And now it's time for your upgrade. You go to Brooklinen, that's spelled B-R-O-O-K, Brooklinen, L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. They're giving an exclusive offer just to our listeners. It's 20 bucks off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. And like I said, they're so confident that all their sheets, their comforters, their towels are awesome, that they come with a lifetime warranty. But the only way that you will get 20 bucks off and free shipping is if you use the promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. They really are the best sheets ever. And, uh, and don't stop with just the sheets. Check out the comforters. Like I said, they've got towels. They've got tons of really cool stuff there over at brooklinen.com. And don't forget that uh, promo code ROADWORK for 20 bucks off and free shipping. Thanks very much to Brooklinen for making this show possible. If you go to Jonathan Colton's house, he just is, is subscribes to everything because he wants the internet to be, he wants the full functionality of the internet. What do you and mean I know subscribes there, to everything? You mean like what, Netflix, that kind of stuff? Yeah, right. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, but also all the other subcategories of like, oh, this is a subscription, like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, like you have to pay them every month. Everything is a, everything is an upgrade. Everything is, oh, do you need, <clears throat> do you need more storage? Well, then upgrade to the next larger plan. And so he, because he's a technologist, he just tries to eliminate barriers to his access to things by just assuming that subscriptions to everything are part of the cost of doing business. And me, somebody based in the 19th century, every time somebody's like upgrade, I'm like, fuck you, close it out. Never coming back because I'm, I'm just offended by the kind of usuriousness of it. And that's, not, and that's just a generational mentality because it is the future, right? I mean, the, the program, the Adobe audition that I use to record podcasts is a subscription. If you want to use pro tools now to record, it's a subscription. It's not, you don't own anything anymore. That is a business model and we're not going back. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. So your example of the dude that's what was ASMRing his like opening boxes of Disney toys or whatever, whoever that was that you were talking about on the, uh, where their YouTube makes them a billion dollars a year, you know, their, their, their supporters are people that mentally are not, there's no trouble, you know, there's no, uh, there's n there's no stumbling block on the way to them send and probably a lot of them are just stealing their parents phone or whatever but if you look at our listeners and imagine who they are i think probably all the people that listen to roadwork that are paypal natives or pa patreon natives mm -hmm. probably support the show 
it's just that that is a smaller subset of our listeners than the ones who are like me who are like, yeah, I want to support the show, but God, I'd have to log on to a thing and put in my information. Ugh. Besides, shouldn't they be making money off of ads or what about, you know, like they're just, they're not, it's not as easy for them. Okay. But hang on, hang on. Cause you brought up two, I think valid, but very, very different points there. The first one is I'm not like a computer person. I just want to listen to my podcast. And it sounds like there is an obstacle between me, the non-computer person and supporting these guys that I like doing a show and so it's screw it. I'm just not going to do it. It's like, like, oh, that, that, that sounds hard. Wait a minute. You want us to like drive downtown to go to a restaurant and like, then we got to like figure out parking and walk. And what if it's cold and we'll have to have an umbrella cause it could rain and you know, let's just order in. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's the order in people. Right. And, 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 and I can see that because it's, it's not like they can just tap a button on their phone while they're listening and a dollar goes into someone's pocket. You can't do that quite yet, kind right. of. But then you brought up the, the second category of people, which is, shouldn't they, they, they should be making all their money from ads. That's just, they, they, I shouldn't, I'm not responsible. I shouldn't have to give to get this thing that is free already. And right. you know, if they want to make their money, they, they have an ad now and again, so that that's enough. If they, if they wanted my support, they wouldn't have the ads or right. something along those lines. Right. Those two groups are, they are the, the those are compatible mentalities. Um, I mean, I, again, the, the, the generation of people that thought music should be free, I can assure you that arguing with them did not ever convince a single one of them that music shouldn't be free. Yeah. Um, they were, they were the pr like proto Bernie bros in the sense that once they had an idea of what the truth was, you could not show them otherwise. But the, but the generation, my generation is just there. Uh, we're accustomed to a kind of passivity your generation. I mean, generation X is the, is an extremely passive generation and always was. And that takes a lot of different forms. Um, and the activity, the activism, the action that generation X engages in is all pretty weak sauce, you know? And it's, it's, um, it's partly that we kind of prized ourselves on having convictions, but also feeling like, like, uh, fighting for things was futile. None of this has anything to do with the Patreon. It's just an overall critique of generation X. I've spent my whole life hating on the baby boomers so hard. Mm -hmm. And now I'm realizing that I'm turning that attention on my own generation and finding so much to not, I, I don't hate generation X. Like I hate the baby boomers. I'm just so disappointed in generation X. They're so, it's such a like, ugh, ineffectual and easily forgotten generation of people, myself included. But you know, I'm not like, 
I'm not waving the banner of the generations that follow either. I'm just <clears throat> I've finally I've finally been dislodged from the from that place inside the little Generation X tank where we where we thought we had a really clear perspective on ourselves, but actually we were letting ourselves off the hook the entire time. Pretty self-serving little little cadre of people. Anyway, I don't begrudge anybody. I, I look at the I look at the world and think, like, I love the New York Times. And yet over the years, see the New York Times does that thing. I know you know about it, where they charge whatever it is, twenty bucks a month for the Sunday paper. Right. And twenty one fifty for seven day a week. Mm-hmm delivery. They know that all anybody wants is the Sunday paper, but they want you to, they want you to subscribe to every day. I'm not sure why. So they, it's like the cable companies, you know, they, they give you, they charge you an exorbitant amount for the one thing you want, which is internet service. And then they'll throw in ESPN and, and basic cable for pennies on the dollar more. And I resent it. I used to subscribe to the New York Times uh, every day, but it became a burdensome amount of clutter. But I somehow couldn't just go to the Sunday because I felt like it was an insulting price structure. Right, like somehow spending $21 to use your, your cost, spending 21 bucks to get a newspaper every day. Like, well, that seems like a good deal, but spending 20 to get it four times a month seems like a total ripoff. Total ripoff, right. And so I was never able to, and I, you know, I don't know if the New York Times has ever done the math on, on that psychology, but I know I'm not alone. And the New York Times, maybe, maybe they could have 20% more subscribers if they just thought about that price structure a little bit and incentivized people to buy the Sunday paper only. Right. Because what, because they're trying to incentivize people to buy it every day. And what it does is disincentivize me to subscribe at all. Well, so in the course of surfing the internet, 10 times a day, I want to follow a link to the New York times. If I paid the New York Times 99 cents, uh, whatever they, however often they want it, the internet would be more seamless to me. I would encounter far fewer firewalls. And I want to go there. I want to have free access to the New York Times. I swear to you, Dan, I would read the New York Times and the New Yorker. And I subscribed to the New Yorker for 20 years. It's but uh, the, again, the New Yorker is a weird thing. I had to stop getting the magazine because I'd stopped reading it. I used to read every fucking word in it, including mm-hmm. like all the all the announcements of like museum openings. Like I just I I gorged on it, and after a while, I was spending so much time looking at at the internet that the New Yorkers were piling up by the door. And so I had to stop stop subscribing, but I didn't switch over to a digital subscription because it felt like it was bad value. 
And every day I come up to a firewall where I'm like, oh, on the other side of this wall, there's this article in the New Yorker that I want to read. But I just haven't gotten my head around attaching two more eels to myself. And somehow when it was a subscription to a magazine, it didn't feel like an eel. It felt like, well, half the time your American Airlines frequent flyer miles paid for your magazines. And so here I am. I'm sitting on this side of a wall. I'm looking over into the garden of the New York Times, let alone the Washington <laughs> Post. Washington right. Post won't even let you read one fucking article. And I, you know, the New York Times, what do, what do they give you? Four articles for free or something a month? And I portion them out. I look at the headlines and I'm like, do I want to burn one of my free New York Times articles on, on this dumb thing? No, I don't. I mean, it's so dumb. So I'm as bad as anyone. I don't. Well, no, 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 you're, you're not, you're not, you're not. And I'll tell you what the difference is. It's not like you could just get the New York times for free. And they're saying, by the way, we'd kind of like you to pay, but you can pay whatever you want. Oh yeah. But like, if you do pay anything at all, even a buck a month, you'll get like a whole second newspaper. That's really good. That's stuff that you wouldn't even be able to read in the regular one. It'd be like subscribing to mm, car and driver. And like you also get sports illustrated on the weekends. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's an extra. That's probably a bad analogy, but well, no, they did that. Didn't they? Wasn't that a thing? I don't, maybe I it was a thing, but it's like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm getting the New York times for free. And if I pay a dollar a month, I'll continue to get the New York Times for free, but I'll also get Sports Illustrated. That sounds like a good deal. I'll do that. And 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 if all of a sudden they said, "Listen, there's not going to be any advertisements of any kind in the New York Times at all as long as you pay that dollar a month or if enough people pay it." I think there'd be people that would do it. I don't know. I I loved just a, as a aside I used to love when the only news website on the internet like was CNN.com and that was it. There was like nothing else except the local newspapers. And I would get the paper delivered every morning and I would, I remember vividly we had a 1950s ranch style home and it was pretty much original and I remember I would get the newspaper and I would sit down with a cup of coffee in the morning in a little armchair next to the fireplace, which I even used several times when I lived there. And it was, it felt very old fashioned, but it was a wonderful way to start the day. I would wake up early to do that, to have the extra, whatever, 30 minutes to just start the day like that. And that was a fine experience. And I feel like, the idea of doing that now seems, it doesn't just seem old fashioned. It seems bizarre. The idea that like you would get your news from something that was written like more than a day ago and was like printed on paper and given to someone who had to like drive through your neighborhood in the dark and throw it at your front door and then you would like open the door and it would, you'd walk down in the end of your driveway and get it and go back inside and like read it like as an activity, as your primary activity. 
Like that doesn't seem like a thing people do anymore. I know that's not where you were going with this, but I, I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it's a fun little walk down memory lane. Everyone read the paper, the morning paper, the evening paper. But I, I mean, I think what you're saying is different though. I think it's, I think it, I think it, it, but you identified it in the beginning. I think that there are, there's the kind of person who's like, oh, this is too hard. Like this feels hard to, to support a thing that I want to support. And then there's the other category, which is like, I shouldn't have to do that or it's free. Why should I pay for it? And I know that, um, there's so many things we think of as just, it should be included. Like I remember, um, somebody that I know had just recently bought their first house and they're like, you know, like they had, they had figured out what their, um, mortgage was going to be. They knew about their homeowner's insurance, knew about all this other stuff. But then they're like, oh, right. Like I didn't really budget for utilities and electric and water and, you know, and, and trash collection costs money and recycle and all of this other stuff that they didn't really budget that. And they're like, that's an extra, you know, 300 bucks a month. I'm like, why didn't you think about that? Like, well, I was in an apartment and that was all just included in the apartment, except for electrical. They had to pay for electric. You know, it's that kind of thing that like all of a sudden you thought you were getting this thing for one price and now it, you're really not, or you paid nothing. And yeah, other thing that you didn't mention, I, I wonder what you think about it is the sort of sense of entitlement around the whole content should be free kind of coming from the music should be free thing. Like I remember a buddy of mine when we worked in the, the corporate world back in the days of Napster. And for those who don't remember what the original Napster was, this was an application you would download on your PC and it would connect to everybody else's Napster. And each of those local copies of Napster was connected to everyone's uh, MP3 music collection. So if you had gone to the trouble, because you couldn't buy music on the internet yet, if you'd gone to the trouble to take your CDs and rip them all and you have them just sitting on your hard drive, a lot of people did this and Napster just connected all of that. So you could go and launch Napster and you could type in Rush and you would see all the Rush songs that ever existed, every version of them, and you'd hit a download button and in seconds or minutes, they would be on your computer. And as long as you left Napster running on your computer, everybody else in the whole world could anonymously connect to your computer and download them. And of course, you didn't know whose computer they were coming from. That was kept out of it. That was not, that wasn't important. It's just somebody in the world, you know, has Tom Sawyer on their drive so everyone else can download it. But as everyone else downloads them, more copies now exist until anyone who wants it can just get it and it, and it's just out there. And in fact, they had such a good technology um, for, for distributed downloads that you could download from multiple people at one time for the same song. And then you'd have that song. And I had a guy whose goal was to like have all the music, all music. He wanted everything. And so he had, you know, we had a super fast connection at the office and he just had this running on a dedicated PC, just sitting there all day. And he just, it was, it was his Napster machine. He should have been mining bitcoins. Well, yeah, they, they had, he, that's what he's doing now. <laughs> he has machines mining bitcoins now. But, you know, I, at the time it, it felt crazy. It was like, well, how can this be? 
how can it be that if I wanted to hear music, I had to physically go to the, the record store and buy the tape or buy the CD. And maybe I'd buy both because, you know, I'd want to listen in the car. So I'd need the cassette tape because I wasn't about to like try and make a copy from the CD because those CD players were garbage. Or you'd have your nice one at home, whatever. So you might wind up buying both. But like that was just how you did it. You just bought albums. You know more about buying albums than I ever will. And then all of a sudden now it's like, well, wait a minute. How can this even be possible? And like, are the feds going to like bust in here and catch me? Because I downloaded like this old Devo album. And people just did it. But then they, they, there was actually, you know, I think a lot of people, majority of people were pretty excited when iTunes made it 99 cents to buy a song. That was pretty cool. But I think there were people who were resentful when Napster shut down. And now, now I've got to pay for this crap. I'm going to buy music. I don't want to buy music. It's supposed to be free. Music's supposed to be free. And I really think that's, that's still the attitude today where and I know people, there's a guy that I know that does podcasts on like paranormal stuff and um, he charges or he used to, I'm not sure what he's still doing, but he used to charge like all of his podcasts were basically like membership only, like only members could get them. And he built his own, this is before the days of Patreon when he started it. And, uh, and you, you know, you, the only way that you could um, get his stuff would be to pay and then you get access to it and then you could, you could subscribe and listen to his stuff. And he made a decent living doing that. He wasn't getting rich, but he made a living. And I remember him telling me, he's like, oh, there's a lot of people. He's like, I get hate mail every day because people feel like that because they're podcasts, they should just be free. Stuff should just be free. And because podcasts well, started out that way, right? I, I don't know. That's the difference between podcasts and music. Podcasts are free. Right. Always were free. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, people do have an expectation that a podcast should be free. That was the deal we 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 brokered with people, right? <clears throat> We're going to give you this for free. Uh, and so, you know, that's why podcasts are not very successful at putting themselves entirely, entirely behind a paywall. Cause there's just too much other stuff out there. But what's, I mean, there's too much other stuff that you can get for free. Why are you going to go? Why are you going to go pay for it? It's that you'd have to be a pretty darn good podcast. Yeah. But the, the nature of money is changing. And that's a thing that the whole music is free era started to usher in. And it was, it was, um, happening along with all these other ways in which the nature of money is changing. Like the Uber and Lyft and the, and the people that are following their model, Postmates, for instance. Yeah. Um, when I call <clears throat> when I call pizza dudes in Renton, and I say, "Pizza dudes, send me a pepperoni pizza." Pizza dudes goes, uh, "I see from your phone number, this is John Roderick," and I go, "That's right. I call pizza dudes every once in a while." <clears throat> and then they say, "Okay, we're ready for your credit card number." <laughs> And I have to go find my wallet and I read it off to them. And I'm like, look, I order from you all the freaking time. Not all the time. I'm not like somebody that orders pizza to the house all the time. But when I get a pizza, I get it from pizza dudes because they deliver here. 
why do you guys not keep my shit on file? Mm. And they don't. And, you know, and whatever privacy or I don't know why they don't have the technology to do it. They think that people would be bummed. Um, honestly beats me. But one of the best things about the, the Uber Lyft Postmates universe is that I call it up. The car comes. It drives me to where I go. I get out and I go, thanks. And the guy goes, bye. You know, it's like, it's phenomenal. And it's changed the nature of money, right? I no longer think of the drive in from the airport as costing money as much as I think of it costing, uh, what it, what it costs is a debit that goes through a system where I have credits and debits coming in and out. So people pay me via PayPal. Then I buy things with PayPal. It's pretend money at a certain point because you know, it's just sliders going up and down. When we went to Sketchfest this year, Sketchfest figured out that rather than hire drivers to carry everybody around, they would just make a deal with Lyft where depending on how many days you were there at Sketchfest, they would give you $100 in Lyft credit or $25 in Lyft credit, whatever it was. And so you know, by the end of the festival, I had 150 bucks in my Lyft account. And so every time I called a Lyft, I got one of the black SUV lifts uh-huh. because why the fuck not? I'm not going that far. I'm just driving around San Francisco. All right. Because it was not real money. And everything, and the, the the banks and the merchants, like the 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 future world that we're going into, they want nothing more than to put an extra two layers in between money and buying things, mm-hmm. because the less money feels real to us the more we're just in these crazy free transactions all the time or transactions where I don't even, frankly, Dan, I don't know how many services take $99 a month out of my account. And I'm not somebody like, I'm not a technology person. I've had to sign up for some things because of, because I have web hosting fees and I have, you know, I have subscriptions to things, but also these, these things that we're talking about, which are subscriptions that aren't subscriptions. Like I'm using Adobe audition. I don't think of it as a subscription. I think of it as something on my desktop that I use every day. Right. But, and it's set up as an auto pay. So 99 cents goes out and it's a line item that my accountant looks at or whatever, but it doesn't feel like, I mean, to me, it still feels like money. Cause I'm somebody that 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 remembers money but to someone that's working a tech job and their paycheck goes into their direct deposits into their bank account and then their uh they buy things directly out of that same 
machine money place. Right. It's, we're just we're just into like it's just video game credits in people's minds. And and you and I remember a time when you picked up your paycheck. It was a piece of paper that you took to the bank, right. waited in line, signed the back of it, oh, yeah. handed it. You know, like oh, I still even, remember the first company that I worked for when they got um, direct deposit. I was like blown away and there, there were people in the, in the office that were like, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, why not? They're like, no, no, no. The money needs to hit my account. Like, and I need to oversee that process. Like I need to get it in my hand. And there were, there were a lot of people in my office. This was a small company, a lot of people who would get the paycheck and it would like that morning. And then at lunch they would get in the car and drive and take it right to the bank. Like, they were not going to chance that some computer somewhere would accidentally forget to deposit it into their account. Well, they're, I think not wrong. I mean, yeah. stuff, I, I got a, uh, I got a, a, a paycheck the other day from one of the many places that pays me. And there was a line item in the deductions category on the stub that said, uh, book file, $10,000. It was just $10,000 like deducted. Right. And because it had the unusual word book in the <laughs> description. Yeah. And my relationship with these people has nothing to do with book. There's no book. It caused me to write and say, what the hell is this? Now, if it had said on that line item deduction, um, you know, paid fees system admin, I would have been like, huh, I guess. Whatever paid fees. Right. Something, something. But it had book. And so it drew my attention. And they and they wrote back and said, oh, we made a big mistake. We were doing a book deal with these other people. And the book had this title that sounded kind of like a thing that you do. And so the accountants put the charge of, the, of that project onto your account. So we're taking it off. Mm. And it was like, wow, mm-hmm. good thing I looked at the thing, right? Because yeah. if I hadn't, I don't, maybe they would have discovered their uh, mistake. Maybe they wouldn't have. But the, the generation that follows us, the one that's, that's entering adulthood now, they're just never going to know money the way that we knew money. When was the last time you carried change in your pocket? Yeah. Right. So there's a, I mean, the next generation's never, never going to have change Mm-mm. in their pocket and ultimately probably doesn't carry money. And eventually, and probably even now just doesn't think of money as a, as a, in the same way. Yeah, are they I'm, still making new change like new quarters and pennies and stuff like is that oh yeah needed? but the thing is quarters and pennies you know they they last a long time 
Um, so yeah, they keep making them, although they keep trying to do away with the penny. They haven't, they haven't yet succeeded. They keep, they, they, there've been several proposals that said, look, if we just stop making pennies, uh, it would save us a bunch of money and nobody wants them anymore. Nobody uses them. Um, but they, for whatever reason, there's still, there's still a demand. And I think, I think it's the people, when you go to a cash register and you buy a thing and the price is 99 cents or something and, or whatever that they, they decide rather than take a penny off the counter or rather than, uh, or it's a dollar, it's a dollar five or something like that. Rather than, rather than just erase the nickel for you or just high five you about it. They decide they're going to reach into the cash register and give you 98 cents change. And when, when I have those encounters with people, I just, I sit there incredulous. I mean, really enjoying it, enjoying the extra work that they're going to, to count out 97 cents rather than just rounding it up and having their register be three cents off until somebody else walks out two minutes later and mm-hmm. says, whatever, you know, throws a nickel at them. Like nobody is counting those little cents. It's the, it's the, it's the plot of office space. All you have to do is just take one penny from every transaction. No one's counting anymore. Those little things, you know, be burn down your office, be millionaires on, in a way it's, I think healthy in that money is fake and always was fake. Yeah. And having it be gold or the shape of a, of a coin or something that you could put into a gumball machine made it feel realer than it was. And I think it's important for us to, to recognize that money is, uh, a game and to gamify the system, which is what's happening now is, um, is maybe more accurate than to imagine that you can, you can have a bag of silver and that means anything Mm -hmm. to anybody. You know, um, the risk of, of money being a game is the same as, as the risk of money, what the risk of money has always been, which is that poor people aren't included in the game. You know, poor people become a, a line item that just gets written off. One of the things about the transition to driverless cars, driverless trucks, the transition to this credit card economy we live in now, or the disruptor economy is that in order to have an Uber or a Lyft account, you need a, you need credit, you need good credit. And if you don't have good credit, you, it's not, it's not just that you don't have the money to take the ride. It's that you don't have access to the system. And if driverless cars become the prime mover of cities, in order for driverless cars to work, it, they'll have to exclude cars that are piloted by humans. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the system won't function. So the day that you can't drive your own car into town and you're dependent on a network of autonomous cars, 
and access to those autonomous cars is dependent on you having a good credit rating. You just priced poor people out of the city. Mm. And that's a heavy moment that nobody's really working on uh, like a public a public solution. Governments should be conscious of this. And what they're going to end up doing is having a uh, ad hoc solution to it. They're going to... Uh, they're going to end up like having some subsidized credit system pay as you go, or it'll be like food stamps or something where you can, if you can show that you're under a certain income, you'll get access to public transit credits or something. But that again is like a band-aid approach to it where we're on this side of it. It hasn't happened yet. We could bake into it access for people, but we're going to leave it. We're not going to think about it because government doesn't work that way. We're going to leave it to Elon Musk and the, the douchebag from Uber and they're going to roll out an Apple and they're going to roll out their autonomous car systems and then Everybody's going to be very excited until we realize, oh, shit, not everybody can use this. And then it'll be, you know, Uber doesn't care. Uber doesn't even care about their own employees. They're not going to care about whether poor people can use their product. That's going to be a very fascinating transition. These public-private partnerships that are going to take over transportation because, of course, then there's going to be, just as there's Uber X now and Uber Black and Uber Super Black, you're going to have whole aspects of travel that we can't, it's, and like Delta Sky Miles or whatever, there are going to be whole tiers of travel that just aren't accessible to other people. You're going to be riding in your cramped little pod and there and some giant hot tub pod is going to go by you and you're not even going to have the app that allows you to ride in that kind of vehicle. It's a, it's a strange, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not dystopian. It's not science fiction. It's so close to us now and it's so unusual to be, on the cusp of a transformative moment like we are right now. And that it's a thing that we've never been in our whole lives up to now. Like the progress of our lives, yours and mine has been this gradual sort of incremental growth of digital. Mm -hmm. And you could say the, the advent of the iPhone was a watershed moment or the, you know, the advent of cell phones even before smartphones, but they weren't really, I mean, they were, but it, but they were on a, they were on a continuum. Um, because what those, what those cell phones did was they just, they're just phones and then smartphones were just you know, a quicker route to get to stuff that we already had access to on the internet. You know, you just, now you can look at Wikipedia from, from, uh, inside your car, 
but it's still Wikipedia you're looking at. It's still Angry Birds you're playing. But we're about to cross over into this universe of robots and virtual reality. And there are a lot of us that can see it. We're excited about it. We're prognosticating about it. But we're not, as a, as a collective group, spending very much time with one another trying to, trying to predict the, the inevitable pitfalls of it and, and maybe build into the system solutions to the, at least the, for that first generation of problems in it, inequalities, uh, Like if, if you wanted to, if you wanted to devise a system where very, very few people controlled every single person's access to the actual physical infrastructure of the world, but I, but it doesn't take much to understand that that's not what we want. We don't want five named individuals to be able to decide how, when, and where I get to go to the grocery store. Right. Um, and do I, do I take this to mean that you don't own a, an electric self-driving automobile as at the moment I don't, and I don't believe anybody will. I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a false flag will meaning the, the word own own. Yeah. Who's going to own one? Why would you there? There'll be a brief transition where Audi and Mercedes-Benz roll out luxury self-driving cars. And all this energy that's being put into like, how do we make these things safe on the road with other drivers? That's all just bull. That's not how it's going to work. Other drivers are going away and they're going to go away fast. So the whole business of how to make autonomous cars interact with other cars, piloted cars. That's just a lot of wasted technology. What, what we're building is a world in which all cars are autonomous and they're interacting with each other on a grid where they're responsible to one another and it will be extremely efficient and beautiful even. And the faster we can get away with human beings driving their own gasoline-powered cars around cities, the better. My God, it's gonna, we're going to look back and think, how did we manage to live in such an just a, like a dirty, archaic world? <laughs> the transition will be so profound. And I, and I can't wait. It's just like we have to get ahead of, of the mistakes we can, you can already see us making because it's going to, because you know, money is pretend, right? Um, but that also means if only five companies control access to the public roads, who pays for the roads? Are the roads still paid for by taxes? That is fine when it's a public utility, but if 
there are five for-profit companies that that depend on the roads and no one else is allowed to drive on them. Yeah. There has to be a new way to pay for them. You have to pay for them out of the profits of those companies. Right. At what point do you nationalize those companies? Right? This is the thing that now all the all the capitalists are all clenching their sphincters. <laughs> but at what point is that does that then become a utility like like the electricity. I mean, there was a time not that long ago, hundred years ago when your sewer and water were potentially, I mean, there was a, there was a, there was an era where maybe the water company would be a private company. Maybe the sewer, sewer and water would be provided by, uh, by private companies. And then it was kind of understood. No, actually this needs to be something that is, provided by the city both for equal access and also for standardization. I mean, you know, the government does a lot of these things that it picked up along the way where things were getting built and then it was, and then we realized, Oh, we need some kind of central ownership of this. And that's what the internet should be, right? The internet should be a public utility, just like electricity because it's ridiculous that we pay a cable company, whatever rate they come up with for what now is an essential service. I mean, internet access is as essential as, uh, as any utility for most people. You can't, you can't do work. You can't be in business. And there are people that don't have access to the internet that need it. So that should be, a utility. And again, the libertarians are like government, but it's like, yeah, fucking government, brah. These are, there are things that, sh- that are, that are in the purview of public good. And it would be very easy for the, for the government to say, we just give everybody high speed internet in our city. And some cities are doing it right. I mean, it's not, this isn't like pie in the sky stuff. But that will be transportation one day, eventually. And I, you know, I, I look forward to it. I just want it to, I want it to be better than I can see it's already going to be. You don't get that many opportunities to stand on one side of a threshold and say, no, 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 don't. Let's just think about this two more minutes before we step through this looking glass. But, you know, I never get invited to those board meetings. 